3: Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including *Roswell in the 21st Century* and *Encounter in the Desert*. A re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here is the host of a different perspective, Kevin Randall.
4: And good evening. Welcome to A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. In just a moment, I will be joined by Robert Cornett. and We're going to be talking about UFOs, Project Blue Book, cattle mutilations, and anything else that springs to mind, I guess. I was going to do a rant here, as I sometimes do. I had had a discussion with a friend who does not live on this continent or in this hemisphere. And he uh, was going to talk about some of the things we had talked about. But it turned out to be way too political, and that's the last thing I want to do here is get political, because that would be, I think, the death knell of the program. So there will be no rant. Instead, I'll just introduce Robert Cornett. Bob Cornett was born in a small town in Iowa that no one has heard of, and he tries to keep it that way. Growing up, he developed an appreciation for hunting and fishing. After graduation from high school, I think he was in a class of eight people, he attended the University of Iowa, where he was privileged to work with the renowned astrophysicist James Van Allen. And I'm thinking, I didn't believe Bob when he told me this. We were going to the University of Iowa, and he was talking about how he was pals with Van Allen, and I didn't really believe it. It just sounded like one of those things, you know, he'd seen it in a class or something. So we're in the physics building. We get on an elevator, and it goes up a floor or two. And I don't know why we're in the physics building, what we were doing there. I had classes in there periodically. And the door opens and Van Allen gets on and he looks down and he says, hi, Bob. Bob says, hi, Van. And I'm thinking, yeah, he knows Van Allen. So I just thought I'd throw that in as, I guess, a little bit of interest. Bob was, uh, has enjoyed many diverse careers. He has been a private investigator, a fire medic, an outdoors writer, a junior college instructor in both creative writing and EMS, and a Marine no longer on active duty. Bob now makes his home in New Mexico, where he enjoys shooting, ham radio, and retirement with, when his three dogs and his cat will let him. Bob Cornett, welcome to a different perspective.
5: Thank you, Kevin. Uh, It's always good to talk to uh, an old friend and an old riding partner. And uh, I think we had eighteen in my graduating class. Okay, I knew it was a small number. And it had
4: an aid in it, so I was partially correct. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, as a a, a way of uh, introduction, also, yeah, we've uh, known each other for quite a long time. We met in ROTC, I believe, and uh, had an interest in UFOs and that sort of thing. And and that kind of made me wonder, when did you develop your interest in UFOs?
5: Um, I don't know for sure. Sometime when I was a uh teenager. I uh, read uh, some books on the subject uh, most notably the one by uh, Don Kehoe. And uh, that kind of sparked my interest and then I, um, did some uh, research for magazine articles. and as time went on linked up with you. We did a lot of investigations together, and uh, I think you became more of a believer and I became less of one. But, um, you know, the, the nice thing is we can share an opinion without getting vicious about it. Well, I think
4: um, my oh, my opinion vacillates from day to day and minute to minute, practically, Um but we had, we had, I guess, hooked up in, uh, in ROTC. And the one thing I remember is I, I used to write, write for what I called my Saga ma- um, Scholarship, which Saga Magazine was a men's magazine, not a playbook or a penthouse, but articles geared to a male audience. And they would do periodically UFO stories. And I, did a, I would do a story for them once a semester, which would basically pay my uh, tuition. So I always say I went to college on a Saga Scholarship. But I I would call an editor there and periodically he would call me back, but sometimes he wouldn't. And I, you know, with questions and a circular had appeared in the ROTC department saying that the Project Blue Book files now were open for public scrutiny. If you could get the Maxwell Air Force base, the Air Force archives. And so I called the editor and he didn't call me back. But within five minutes, his boss called me back with all kinds of questions to ask. And I said to him, well, I, I take it I have an assignment. And he said, oh, yes, yes. So you and I went to Maxwell Air Force Base, and we may have been the first two civilians to get into the archives at Maxwell Air Force Base.
5: Yeah, I believe that to be the, the case. Um, uh, subsequent uh, viewing of uh, some of the Blue Book files have led me to believe that they were um, highly redacted after you and I had a look at them. Uh, but we had quite an adventure uh, doing that. Uh, we weren't getting very f- anywhere very fast with the base librarian until Mister Smith showed up from Washington. Do you remember him? Oh, absolutely we were standing
4: there at this desk and we we're asking questions and they're kind of him and holling around and not really answering us. And this guy shows up and he's Mr. Smith from Washington and shows him some credential and says to the librarians, give these guys anything they want. And, and from that point we had no problems.
5: Yeah. They, uh, as I recall, they gave us our, our private room to read in and, uh, take photographs of the, uh, documents that had not quite been uh, well I suppose they'd been declassified but they certainly hadn't been redacted yet and uh, and then we would uh, go back to the hotel at night and uh, develop the uh, negatives in a makeshift dark room we'd set up in the bathroom and and uh, we learned a lot about taking pictures and developing them in bathrooms from that. Well, I, sh- I should
4: also point out the reason we were taking photographs is we had been warned before we got down there, and I don't know who warned us, that we would not have access to good Xerox facilities. So we were prepared to copy the stuff as best we could using photographs. So we went down with a lot of black and white film mm-hmm. to and photographed an awful lot of documents that way. And <laughs> I think, I think the, the point is, I they really didn't help. The librarians really didn't help us out at first. And they said, well, what cases do you want to see? And the first thing that came to my mind was the Kinross case, you know, the F94 that disappeared over Lake Superior in 1953. And they brought the folder to us and it was like two pages and it was galley proof from a book explaining what had really happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I don't remember who it was. One of the, one of the officers in the ROTC detachment had been assigned, um, At Kinross at the time this took place, and he told me later on, and I I probably should say the Kinross case was uh, uh, a jet fighter was launched to uh, uh, identify some kind of craft or unidentified object over the uh, Lake Superior by radar. And uh, the two blips were seen to merge on this radar screen, but they never separated and and the jet disappeared. And he told me there were two schools of thought at, at Kinross Air Force Base at the time. One is it had been taken by the UFO and the other was it had crashed into Lake Superior, but it's never been found. And I thought it was interesting that a guy who was there told me that and said that there were a lot of other sightings around there at the time, but the point really is, so the Kinross file was like two pages, but then they told us there was an index and we asked for the index. And that was when um, we, went yeah. through the whole, we went through the whole files and we wrote down all the unidentifieds, all the photographic cases and physical evidence cases, because all the names were still in it. And, yes. and when, they, when they released the files uh, to the National Archives, all the names had been taken out. And that was one of the heaviest parts of the redaction that had taken place.
5: Yeah, I'd uh, almost uh, forgotten about the uh, Kinross case, but uh, uh, yeah, we...
6: Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.
7: Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply
5: stop, opt out.
0: 32, 32. Text kid to
5: 323232. Yeah, there was a huge number of files that uh, we uh, photographed because uh, we assumed that uh, that information would eventually be lost to researchers, and in fact, it was. There are some gaps in, in the Project Blue Book files, that's, that's for certain.
4: But I think what they, I think most of the stuff, uh, I think once it was microfilmed, and we can thank Jack Webb for that uh, and sent to the National Archives um, and, and made available to many other researchers. But I thought, I thought our index of the unidentifieds with the names in it was unique, but it turned out Don Berliner from NICAP. Had done the same thing uh, when the when the when the files first arrived at the National Archives, the names hadn't been redacted, and so he had gone through and done basically the same thing we had done, which was copy down all the names of the people who were involved. Mm-hmm. Well, let me. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here. I see we have commercial sign, so we will be back talking to Bob Cornett. I'm going to get a little more into Project Blue Book, maybe find out some of his favorite cases as opposed to what mine are. And uh, we'll talk about cattle mutilations at some point, too, because we had some investigations in that, which were quite interesting. And we went to Minnesota Heavily Armed because of that and some of the stories we had heard. Um, The website is www.kevinrandall.bluebox.com. Uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com got blue buck on the brain and uh, there'll be more information up there and links to other sites that may be helpful so I'll be back uh, right after this with Robert Cornett talking about blue book and other assorted things so stick around
7: Yeah.
8: Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course.
7: We all know about SIMULTV.com com.
0: Path Home Shamanic Art School proudly presents The Gathering of Shaman 2019 Fall Retreat Manifestation Samhain. Join me, Certified Shamanic Instructor Gwilda Weyeka, in the magnificent Colorado Mountains this November 2nd and 3rd for a life-changing event. Participate in unique teachings and ceremonies that'll put the power and magic of shamanic manifestation into your hands. Sit in circle with like-minded individuals, sharing group energy and the power it generates. Classes will be held in a facility next to the beautiful, majestic Arkansas River, further empowering the experience. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today. For more information, visit findyourpathhome.com or email touch in at findyourpathhome.com.
4: I am joined by Robert Cornett. We're talking about our trip to Maxwell Air Force Base, actually, where we were looking at the Project Blue Book files, where they had been sent by the Air Force after they closed down Project Blue Book and opened for public scrutiny. And uh, as I said earlier, I think we were uh, the first two civilians to actually get in there and look for it because they had been at Maxwell Air Force Base. And the Air Force didn't really announce that publicly that the files were open, but it sent it out in a... Circular to the various air force units. And since we were an air force ROTC, we'd seen the uh, circular and they called our attention to it. Cause we, they knew we had an interest in UFOs. So we're there in uh, Maxwell air force base, looking at the files. Was there a particular case that uh, really excited you as we were looking through that, uh, all that material?
5: Um, <clears throat> well, uh, not so much a particular case from the material, but, uh, uh, you mentioned some of my favorite cases of interest. Um, I think um, Jesse Mantell on the P fifty one case. You mean uh, you
4: mean uh, uh, Tom Thomas Mantell, Thomas Mantell? Y-
5: yes, I'm sorry. And um, uh, of course the um, the uh, so-called crash at uh, um that uh, um, uh, occurred here in New Mexico in the early 40s at the, at the only nuclear bomb-capable base in the world. Well, there's
4: really really nothing about the Roswell case in uh, the Blue Book Files other than a single paragraph in...
5: um, It was very short, and I was kind of disappointed with that. Um, I think one of the things I enjoyed most, though, was that one afternoon we had a little extra time, and we... uh, went down to a sporting goods store to buy an anti-tank <laughs> rifle. <laughs> and? <laughs> well, fortunately, we couldn't figure out how to haul it home behind your car. So uh, as a result, uh, your wife is still speaking to you and my second wife talks to me. Well, we should, we should point out what we, what we found was a, uh, an anti-aircraft gun
4: that uh, would was big enough to be towed behind vehicles. So I think they wanted $1,000 for it,
6: <laughs>
4: which would be kind of interesting. Uh, when, we, when we were there, we were looking through the administrative files as well. A lot of administrative documents there. And I know that we found a, a number of them that suggested the um, Air Force, various components of the government actually, had, had tried to end Project Blue Book, had tried to move it from a from the intelligence section to the public affairs section and all that kind of thing is, is there's something there that, uh, that really stuck out in your mind as well.
5: Um, not so much, uh, on that sort of thing. Uh, of course the, um, um, uh, other stories from the period were like the Bonnie and Betty Hill stuff and the, Pascagoula, Mississippi cases and uh, I, I do distinctly remember though the joint military and civilian observation of the moon and I have often wondered how both the uh, the military and trained civilian pilots could mistake the moon for UFO. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we laughing about that one uh, when we
4: we came across it. Although I have to say I was investigating a case in Wisconsin and uh, a guy had called in and said that there was one flying over his house right there. I happened to be in the police station at the time because we were talking about UFOs and they had had some sightings and he wanted uh, wanted someone come out. And they they said to me, you want to go? And I said, well, yeah, of course I'll go. And we, we got out there and went to his backyard and he was looking at the moon. There were low-hanging broken clouds and the the, uh, wind was blowing them so it looked like it was moving, but by gosh, he was looking at the moon. But that was a single witness as opposed to a military group with civilian uh, cohorts there. But yeah. Yeah. Other things that might have interested you in the Project Blue Book Files when we were sitting there?
5: uh, Well... Uh, there were, um, I don't remember if it was from the Blue Book files or if the, this one came out of the Condon Commission uh, report that uh, we also read later on. And uh, that was with the cattle mutilations. And uh, we uh, got our hat tipped to that one by. Uh, A federal agent whose initials, I will say, was L.F. I hesitate to use his name over the air. But uh, he told us that uh, some of these guys were serious wackos and uh, heavily armed. So we went heavily armed as well. (laughs) Well, before we before we get deeply into the cattle
4: mutilations, let's stay with Blue Book just a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, you know, it, because I think that, that we had a unique perspective, having been there before things were redacted. And I know we were looking for specific cases as well. We had a list of cases from Saga Magazine, as a matter of fact, that we had to look at. But we, when we wrote the article, it, uh, which appeared, what, in 73, 74, When we wrote our article about it, we dealt quite a bit with the administrative files showing that after around 1953 in the Robertson panel, that was the CIA-sponsored review of the Washington National Sightings from 1952. But after that point,
6: um, Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would.
4: There wasn't much of an investigation going on. It was more what can we do to get rid of this thing? It's
5: kind of bugging us. Uh you
4: remember you remember much about that?
5: Um, I don't remember a great deal about it, Kevin. I just uh I do remember that uh there was definitely a push to uh bury blue book and uh, after that point and to just not have to deal with it anymore, and uh, I think that led us to the uh, Condon Committee report, which was pretty much clearly an effort to uh, get rid of Blue Book. Well, well, we know
4: we know that that's a fact because we've got the letter from uh, Robert Hitler, who was a. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel at the time, and he'd written to the Condon Committee and said, uh, Here's what we want you to find. Uh, You know, say the Air Force has done a good job investigating the stuff. Um, There is no threat to national security, and the Air Force should get rid of the project because if we don't, we're going to spend another $22 million investigating it. And the Condon Committee, after they completed their investigation, said basically the same thing. So clearly, the Condon Committee was a put up job based on I guess, years of documentation that that are in the Blue Book files uh, suggesting that they wanted to get rid of the investigation.
5: Yeah, and um, of course, there was uh, uh, a well-known astronomer from uh, Illinois at the time who um, uh, vacillated a lot between there being a nuts and bolts explanation for the blue, for the UFO sighting, and there not being a nuts and bolts explanation, uh, and I think I would rather not mention him by name. Uh, it's um, he's passed on now, but his family is still around. I think his family is pretty supportive of his of his UFO work
4: and that sort of thing. but uh, I, we've had a, any number of scientists who were hired at various points by the uh, Air Force to help them resolve the UFO problem. And that, that's kind of what they saw it as as a problem as opposed to um, something that needed to be, uh Investigated with an open mind, and and the Condon Committee. I've mentioned this several times. My favorite citing from the Condon Committee that they investigated. They said that the explanation was a natural phenomenon so rare it had never been seen before or since, and I think that was a pretty ridiculous explanation. But it also suggests. In itself, that there is something of scientific value to be learned by studying UFOs, even if we don't get to the extraterrestrial.
5: Yeah, that would that would certainly be true. I mean, anything that rare uh, would be worth studying. But um, um, it, you know, as, as far as um, as specifics. I don't recall any that stood out more so than others. There were several good ones. And um, I also don't want to say anything that um, might uh, put the damper on a book you're in the process of writing. Well, we're going to have
4: to take another break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk to, about cattle mutilations because that was kind of an interesting investigation and kind of a fun thing that we had done uh, going up to Minnesota. Jim Lorenzen of APRO had uh, called me and asked if we could go up and take a look at it, and we said yes. And I, 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 th- I think the cattle mutilation thing is—I was going to say pretty well died out, but that would be a bad pun. <laughs> we will look at—we will look at that later and what we had done there. So I will be back in just a moment with uh, Robert Cornette. We'll be talking about UFOs. Uh, We talked about Project Blue Book. We'll talk about cattle mutilations and take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Please notice I got the title right that time. And uh, stick around.
2: Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exone Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exone TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exone Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot Exone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exoneradiotv.com or www.xzontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next, we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember, X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
4: I am joined by Robert Charles Cornett, sometimes known as RC Squared. We've been talking about Project Blue Book and UFOs, and I think we'll move on to cattle mutilations. I was uh, sitting around my apartment one day, minding my own business, when uh, Jim Lorenzen from APRO called. And it was um, mid-1970s, I guess, when cattle mutilations were all the rage, and they were even getting um, reports of it on the national news. You know, a cow had been killed and mutilated. It was now national news. And Lorenzen uh, wanted to know if we could go, or I could go. Bob and I could go to um, Minnesota, to Minneapolis, to talk to a fellow there who knew something about the cattle mutilations. But what we've been getting was some other information suggesting that there may have been satanic cultists involved and there were other things going on. And some of these people were heavily armed. So we decided to go heavily armed as well, which we probably shouldn't admit on the air. (laughs) I think we had two pump shotguns and four pistols just in case. (laughs) So we went up to um, Minneapolis and we met the uh, reporter that Jim Lorenzen had uh, told us about. You remember that guy there, uh, Bob?
5: Um, Yeah. Uh, You're talking about the uh, radio reporter, correct? Yeah, Michael Douglas. Yeah. That was his air name. Not the real Michael Douglas. (laughs) the Yeah. And, uh. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, Mike was a very personable kind of guy. I also found the uh, sheriff of the county to be uh, quite personal because uh, personable. Because when you brought up the uh, issue of us being armed, I wanted to club you over the head because we were uh, out of state Then and um, there was no widespread concealed carry statute between the states at that time. But the uh, sheriff looked at us, smiled, and said, you keep them where other people can't see them, and I won't see them either. And that was (laughs) good enough for me.
4: Uh, yes, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that, but I was trying to be honest with the sheriff uh, because he was, in fact, the sheriff. One thing that I found interesting is is uh, Michael Douglas, and that's not his real name, uh-huh. had investigated um, a number of the mutilations, and he and he told us his findings about those, uh, not suggesting alien visitation. Though you you remember what all he was talking about there?
5: Uh, yeah, uh, there was. Uh, um Uh, The group that was into uh, uh, the satanic cult thing, there was a group that was just kind of wackos. There was uh, a lot of predator damage that accounted for a lot of it. And um, among the wackos, there were those who would uh, lay down sheets of plywood to uh, approach the... uh, animal's body without leaving footprints well,
4: I think what was interesting what struck me as interesting is uh, there was well, one of the farmers one of the ranchers uh, had said that uh, there, there had been reports of uh, landing gear indentations on a farm lake or farm pond and uh, mm-hmm. Douglas said that he went out and talked to the farmer and the farmer said uh, you know, I made those I was chopping through the ice to get water for the, uh, for the animals Mm-hmm. So we were finding, we were finding terrestrial, the point is we were finding terrestrial explanations. We weren't just taking the words of, uh, of the people, but Michael Douglas, not his real name, would, uh, had, had, had done all this work and he would point us to the people to talk to and help us out with that sort of thing. So he was a, a very good, um, source to have there while we were doing the investigation. But I think the, the interesting thing is while we were there, I don't think we found one single case that suggested anything that was extraterrestrial.
5: Yeah, I certainly didn't see anything that would lead me to believe uh, that an uh, an extraterrestrial explanation was called for in that case. I um, had met a group of hunters here in Iowa
4: and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how I got in touch with them, but they had been out in the, the woods and they'd come across a cow that had just recently died. And uh, they were responsible for the mutilations to it. And they just got a real kick out of all the people who were uh, uh, getting all excited about this animal that had been mutilated. I also, also ran into um a veterinarian in Wisconsin. And I always remembered his name because his name was Jefferson Davis. And I thought, geez, a a, a vet in Wisconsin named Jefferson Davis. (laughs) And and he told me that um, he'd gone out on one of these investigations. Uh, The farmer's cow had died and uh, had, I guess, the ears sawed off in some kind of fashion and a couple of other mutilations. And he wasn't real impressed with that because he knew the history of the animal had been very sickly from its birth. And it died of natural causes. And the farmer had committed the mutilations in an attempt to recover uh, insurance money. Don't know why I couldn't think of the word insurance. Insurance money. Uh, but if it died under natural causes, then he got no kind of compensation. So he had committed the um, mutilations himself. And I wondered how many other farmers might have done something similar. Did you ever run anything like that? When well, I know we didn't do all our
5: investigations together. Did you ever run run anything like that yourself? Um. Uh, A number of cases uh, that I can think of where it's like, you know, the ears, the lips, that sort of thing. Things that would be as uh, likely um, put down as predator damage. Um, And in some cases, there was uh, pretty good evidence that... uh, the farmer himself had done it for the insurance reasons, as you suggest. But um, um, I, I can't say there was a lot of them; just a few. Well, I, the other thing was, you know, a number
4: of years ago, I was talking about cattle mutilations as somebody who really believed that, that this was happening, and he and he sent to, he, he said to me. Um, how do you explain the lack of copper in the blood? You know, we were doing ne- necropsies of the animals and they were taking blood samples and all that sort of thing. And there was a lot lack of copper in the blood. Well, I'd never heard anything like that. And so I looked it up online, which is why the internet is so important today, because I could type in copper deficiency in cattle and find all kinds of scientific papers that explains copper deficiency in blood, uh, in cattle blood. And, you know, that kind of strikes me as uh weird as well that we could find, you know, people are studying that in depth, but there was all kinds of natural causes that explains the discrepancy. And the one I remembered, if the animal had just given birth, then there would be a copper deficiency. And there were areas where the pasture land didn't give them the proper copper for their bloods and they had to give them, give it to them artificially. So we could explain the lack of copper by the natural elements. So, the lack of copper in an animal that had been found dead and mutilated just wasn't any kind of suggestion of something nefarious or something extraterrestrial going on, but something very natural.
5: Yeah, and, and back in those days, we probably would have been inclined to have just written it down to the Vulcan blood system, you know. <laughs> but, uh, The, um, uh, like you said, it it is interesting that uh, uh, with the internet now, and you can find all this stuff, uh, I was wondering how you felt uh, about uh, the work we did with Blue Book, uh, how things might have been different uh, if we'd had the internet, if we'd had digital cameras, if we'd had uh, precise laser uh, range finding like we have, so many things that we have today that we didn't have when you and I were out running around in the 70s. Well, if we had digital
4: cameras, we certainly would have photographed more of the Project Blue Book files, not realizing we'd soon have them available on the internet i've got a complete set of the microfilms and i've got a complete set of the blue book files that's digitized which cracks me up because i have them on a thumb drive Mm -hmm. i have the entire project blue book files on a thumb drive that i can carry in my pocket I mean, and, and if you were doing UFO investigations, think what kind of a, a research tool that would have been because you could search for light cases and you could search for all kinds of information that we couldn't we, we couldn't get today. But I think that if the, um, and, and I've said this before, that had the Air Force not been wanting to get rid of the Project Blue Book files and not Project Blue Book investigations and had not NICAP been so interested in getting congressional investigations, and they were always at loggerheads about that sort of thing. That neither side was doing good investigations. NICAP was looking for the information to force congressional investigations, and the Air Force was trying to explain everything, regardless of how ridiculous it was, in some some fashion. And the best example of this, and I've said this before on the program, is the Leveland case, where the. Air Force accused NICAP of lying because Kehoe had said there were nine witnesses to the level land landings and and that sort of thing. And the Air Force said there were only three, but going through the Project Blue Book files, I could find references to 13. And that was just in the Blue Book files. I found other information later on. Um, We're gonna have to take our uh, break here for some reason, I don't know. Uh, as I say, it's uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com for additional information. I forgot to mention uh, Roswell in the 21st century. If you want the, I think the best information about Roswell, encounter in the desert about the Socorro UFO landing. I will be back right after this with Robert Cornett. We will be talking about UFOs, catamulations, and anything else that comes to mind. So stick around.
3: Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net.
7: You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV.
4: I am with Bob Cornett. We're talking UFOs. We were talking cattle mutilations, and we got uh, off on a couple of tangents there. One thing I wanted to talk about, back in the 1970s, I think there were like six magazines that dealt with UFOs. There was uh, Argosy's UFOs, uh, Saga's UFO Report, True uh, Flying Saucers and UFOs or whatever, uh, Official UFO. Uh, Bob and I were writing for all of those magazines at one time, uh, and we would make a pretty good living doing it. Uh, while we were doing that, Bob, was there, uh, I know we didn't always do the same investigations. We didn't always do the same articles, but was there an article that you'd done at the time that kind of fascinated you and suggested maybe an extraterrestrial explanation as opposed to something more terrestrially based? Uh,
5: well, not so much during that time, Kevin, although uh I recently uh, got some data presented to me by a uh, couple of uh, farmers living near where I am now that uh, saw large silently moving objects in the night sky, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and in the process discovered a town called uh, Meadow Lake. And the closest thing I can think of, to is uh, Eureka, which was a short-lived television show. Uh, this is a strange town that anybody in, interested in investigating ought to check out at least once. It uh, It apparently comes complete with its own missile silos, although we... Have no record of them having ever been installed there. Well, you mean the missiles were installed, or just
4: or the silos weren't built?
5: No, the silos were built. Whether or not they ever contained missiles, I don't know. Well, you know, that <laughs> kind of strikes me as kind of an
4: interesting still there.
5: <laughs> a kind of an interesting strategy:
4: build a lot of missile silos, but you don't have to equip them, and then the uh, our competitors in the world don't know what they need to hit.
5: Exactly. Exactly. So. Well, I know
4: that uh, I remember the one one editor, Bernard O'Connor at Official UFO. We worked up quite a relationship with. Yeah, and, and then he had sent he would sent you a, a check for an article he'd ri- written, and he he put in an extra buck on it for beer. Yes,
5: that's true. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that but uh, he did in fact do that So, uh,
4: well since you escaped Iowa and moved to an undisclosed location yes. uh, uh, I was wondering have you kind of kept up your UFO investigation I mean we haven't talked about this in a long time so I just wondered if you've kept up the investigations I, and found some interesting I, stuff
5: I really, I really haven't I've been more interested in writing Uh, some fiction I've been working on, as well as uh, sort of a tabletop book on uh, tour of the Great Bars of the Southwest. Um, So uh, I've been doing that sort of thing. But uh, every once in a while, I just have a, a case falls into my lap and... I say, hmm, well, okay, I'll go out and take a look. So,
4: but do they lead you to the extraterrestrial? You said you were pretty skeptical about this.
5: I have yet to see any little green men from Alpha Centauri or any little gray men from anywhere else.
4: I'm surprised you said little green men from Alpha Centauri as opposed to Tau Citi. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a private joke people Bob and I wrote a science fiction novel we called Seeds of Doubt and the publishers for some reason changed the name to Seeds of War but it was set on Tau Ceti, mm. and uh, we had quite a bit of fun writing that book
5: yeah, but they, were, they weren't little and they weren't green. <laughs>
4: yeah, I know, but it, but it was Tau Citi as opposed to Alpha Centauri. So I was, This is true. And I, I should point out, you know, Bob and I have done a number of books together. We did a series called Vietnam Ground Zero, which I think is being, is in fact being republished, republished, uh, available, becoming available again through a, a British publisher. Uh, we've done a number of science fiction books. We did Remember the Alamo, which was a time travel book in which the uh, characters went back in time to win the battle of the Alamo uh, for the Texans and that sort of thing. So, you know, Bob and I've had a long association of writing uh, both UFOs, investigating UFOs and uh, writing um, about uh, science fiction. I think our goal was to write a science fiction novel and have it published. And we, we were successful in that. We had a number of science fiction novels published. Mm. But you haven't really kept up your u f o studies then in the last two hundred and four years, no, not
5: really. It's you know after a while you get get kinda of tired of okay, you go out and you check this all out, and it turns out to have either a conventional explanation or a very plausible and reasonable uh explanation which uh Uh, might as well be terrestrial. And I I just haven't seen any spaceships.
4: But but I I get the feeling because, you know, I get get, uh, reports all the time. You know, somebody saw a light crossing the sky and I'm thinking, so what? We don't need another report of a light in the sky. Uh, Especially, you know, it's like two o'clock in the morning and somebody reports a bright light crossing the sky. And then what do you do with that? Yeah. Um, some guy in a private plane turned on his landing light for whatever reason, the wind is blowing the wrong direction. So you don't hear the, um, hear the sound of the engines. There's no way to solve that. Doesn't mean it's a spacecraft. Doesn't mean you, you just can't get to an answer. So there's always going to be a pile of unidentified cases, uh, regardless of how careful you investigate and how, uh, uh, much information you have. Sometimes you're just not going to have an explanation, but that does not lead us to the extraterrestrial.
5: Yeah, exactly. Kev. and I think that uh you know, gosh, I mean, I would love to have a chance to meet somebody from another world, walk up to him and say Gort Klatu barada nikto, you know, but <laughs> and they would say what I, the it, hell it, are you
4: talking about? It just
5: doesn't happen.
4: what what surprises me is some of these people have really great experiences and you think it'd be a one-off you know i've seen something land close to my house and it's clearly a saucer shaped object or whatever but then they have another one and another one and another one and i'm thinking i've never seen one good one and uh, these people are having multiple sightings and you have to wonder about their uh Ability to discriminate between the natural, the unnatural, and the artificial.
5: And then there may be the spiritual thrown in on top of that too. So it's, yeah, so, or the the supernatural, you know. And um, it's just uh, I have uh, I've been disappointed too many times. I guess. And that's lead me to come to the reluctant conclusion that um, uh, we are alone in the universe. You know, either we're alone or we're not alone. And either way, it's a mighty sobering thought.
4: Well, would either we're not, we're... We're not alone, but they don't have the capability to get here. I think that if we do have alien visitation, it is extremely rare, not the multiple sightings we have on a regular day. And I'm concerned that we don't have good photographic evidence in today's world with everybody running around with a camera in their pocket. So, uh, you know, those are things that we have to have to look at when we're studying UFOs. Any last thoughts before I let you go?
5: Uh, just, uh, like you said, uh, that everybody's running around with a camera in their pocket. It's a cell phone, for goodness sakes, you know. You don't need a a $500 camera like we were using back in those days. You get, uh, you go down and you buy an El Cheapo camera at, uh, um, Family dollar, and then buy your minutes, and it'll still take pretty decent pictures. So, I don't know why, uh, with as many cameras that are running around, as many uh, ham radio operators as we have listening to the air, etc., etc., that nobody's coming up with good information unless there is no good information to come up with.
4: Well, Bob, need to thank you for taking your time to uh, chat with me today. I think uh, we've learned a little bit about cattle mutilations, if nothing else, a little bit about
5: Project Blue Book and that sort of thing.
4: So thank you very much for joining me on A Different Perspective.
5: Thank you, Kevin. I enjoyed uh, doing the show with you. Okay,
4: we'll chat with you later, Bob. Uh, well bye. <laughs> Have a good day. Uh, as I say, there will always be information uh, available at my blog, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I got books out there, and I, I think they're books that try to tell the t- truth, not uh, projecting mm-hmm. an agenda or a, a point of view, but here is the information what conclusions can you draw from that? And I, I, I think that if you want to understand the Roswell case, you need to take a look at Roswell in the 21st century. If you want to understand the Socorro case and the latest information, you need to look at Encounter in the Desert. And I've got a new one coming up called The Best of uh, Project Blue Book, which looks at some of the cases from those files. Next week, I'll be joined by John Greenwald at the Black Vault. He's been on before. We'll be talking about... Um, some of the things that are going on in the UFO field. Um, So put that on your calendar and I will be back in 167 hours. So thanks for listening.